0: Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host
1: each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast. Okay, I don't have a lot of time. I pre-recorded an uh, interview with Dr. Oliver that I think you're going to really, really like. It's all about neuroplasticity. It might sound super crazy scientific, but we... Uh, take it down primarily to layman's terms. I understood most of what he was saying uh, about how we can change our brains, which I think is incredibly powerful stuff that you need to know about. And because I know how long that took, I know I don't have a ton of time for this rant, but this rant is important. So I'm going to jump right into it. It's time for the Vitality Rant.
2: In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smokescreens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital
1: rant. All right. So... The real number of coronavirus cases is much higher than the recorded infections, according to a new study from the CDC. Researchers found a range from 6 to 24 times the number of documented cases, but most sites likely have 10 times or more infections than are being reported. That means that the population, where we keep hearing about 3.8, 3.9 million cases of the virus, it's actually much higher than that possibly 10 times higher, which would put us at closer to 40 million. They're using a conservative number of 23 million right now uh, as a number that they think have probably been infected with coronavirus. But of course, these are guesses from the CDC, much like pretty much every single thing that uh, Anthony Fauci has been sharing with us over the last uh, few months But uh, this number is important because of the second part of my rant, and I don't want to let this slide by without my notice, and that is that Fauci, my good friend, Dr. Anthony Fauci, I sometimes accidentally pronounce his name Anthony Fallacy, but regardless, he's throwing out the first pitch at the Washington Nationals game this week. Isn't that great? Great. I love how we make people who shouldn't be heroes, who make mistake after mistake after mistake and tell us lie after lie, heroes in American culture. It's fantastic, isn't it? Okay, let's get past that and talk about these numbers because they're important. But I'm going to lead into that with a study that was done at Oxford in the UK. The headline from The Sun says, Oxford's COVID-19 vaccine is in capital letters SAFE and can train the immune system to fight disease, the first human trial reveals. Well, now that sounds promising, right? I mean, who doesn't want their immune system to be trained? Oh, well, I guess technically people who are hiding from a virus would not want their immune system to be trained because the best way to train an immune system is to put it into contact with germs and viruses and bacterias and fungi and things like that and allow the immunity to acquire the immune system to acquire its immunity against those things. But instead, of course, the wonderful government that we have thinks that the only way that we can train the immune system is with a vaccine that is impossible to train the immune system just simply by getting sick and then getting well, which of course is not the case because the CDC admitted that the reason they think there may be 23 million or maybe as many as 40 million Americans that have had COVID-19. The reason for that is because they found antibodies in that percentage of Americans across 10 different sites in America. With antibody rates that high, that means the immune system of those people has already been trained. Isn't that interesting? And all of that just by nature, just by nature, Isn't it funny how if we just rely on nature, sometimes good stuff happens? Well, no, that would be too simple and certainly not profitable. So let's let's talk about this. The first human trials show that the experimental vaccine could provide double protection against COVID-19, which lasts for at least two months. Wow, (laughs) two months. Impressive. Scientists at Oxford University say that experimental coronavirus vaccine has been shown in an early trial to prompt a protective immune response. Experts say it provoked a type of response in the white blood cell known as a T cell within 14 days of vaccination and an antibody response within 28 days. Now, it is very important to understand that there are many, many, maybe dozens of natural options to create a T cell response. A T cell response also happens naturally when we come into contact with a virus or germ, or bacteria that makes us sick. One example of a study that was done that showed absolutely no side effects was a study that was done on a probiotic called Bacillus coagulin some years ago, where it showed that blood that had been infected with influenza A, otherwise known as seasonal flu, that that blood was 17 times higher in TNF-alpha cells than the blood that had not been treated with bacillus coagulans. So we know that there are many things in nature that can create a T-cell response. That's actually not that big of a deal and not that hard to accomplish with natural means. But as far as antibodies are concerned, as I stated already, the CDC estimates that perhaps as many as 23 or even 40 million Americans already have antibodies and that we've achieved that through the natural process of infection. We don't know how long those will last, but it appears that the vaccine could only work for as little as two to six months, according to the study that was done on that. Based on evidence from other viral infections, though, it is very likely that the antibodies achieved naturally will be far more beneficial and long-lasting than those acquired from a vaccine, with far fewer side effects. Of course, locking us all down will, in theory, prevent transmission, which would then prevent natural acquired immunity. Seems almost backwards, doesn't it? Okay, so this next part I think is incredibly important. I want you to listen up here because I think it's something you need to understand. This vaccine was not compared to a placebo. Listen to this compared with the control group of those given a meningitis vaccine. The COVID-19 vaccine caused minor side effects more frequently, according to the study. Okay, this is a horrible way to conduct a study on a new drug of any kind, but especially a vaccine for a novel virus. What is the gold standard of medicine trials? It's a double-blind placebo-controlled study. The meningitis vaccine, which this COVID vaccine was compared against, is not a placebo. A placebo, by definition, is inert, an inactive substance. Comparing side effects from a new vaccine to that of an existing vaccine is like comparing the quality of a night's sleep while listening to a rock concert versus the quality of a night's sleep while listening to a hip hop concert, when in reality, it should be compared against a night's sleep in silence. You cannot compare something with known side effects. Against something with known side effects and then call it safe. On top of that, when they did compare the COVID vaccine against the meningitis vaccine, the COVID vaccine caused more side effects than did the meningitis vaccine. So it is at least less safe. But some of these could be reduced, these side effects, by taking paracetamol. That's also known as Tylenol. Okay, that's what they call it over in the UK. The researchers said that by giving Tylenol to the patients they had less mild side effects. They also said that there were no serious adverse events from the vaccine. Now that statement there and I'm going to read it again cuz I kind of butchered it there. But some of the side effects could be reduced by taking Tylenol, researchers said, adding that there was no serious adverse event from the vaccine. Now here are the three issues. One, They actually amended the study midway through to add Tylenol because presumably there were enough side effects that it made sense to do so. Studies don't get amended midstream unless there is a significant reason for doing so. Second, reducing side effects of this vaccine with Tylenol is not a good idea because Tylenol reduces glutathione and impacts liver function in a negative way. Therefore, Tylenol would actually increase the risks involved with vaccination. Many of the substances in vaccines must be eliminated through the liver. Therefore, compromising the liver with an additional drug is a bad idea. Third, my dear friend Ali Duzette, who helped me decipher much of what this study actually says versus what they want us to think it says, came across something very disturbing in the study itself. In order to classify any reaction as a serious adverse effect, once a trial participant reported one, it was then reviewed by two doctors. And if either doctor determined that it was probably not related to the vaccine, then it wasn't counted as a serious adverse event. The results that claim that this vaccine is capital letters safe and well tolerated without any serious adverse events are as convenient. As a bottle of Coke at the local 7 Eleven. In the current trial, 91% of participants were white, and the average age of participants was 35 years old. The age range was 18 to 55, all healthy adults. While studying healthy adults initially is wise because if there were major adverse events, they would likely tolerate them better, that doesn't excuse the fact that it is far more likely that adults over 65 Adults with compromised immune systems and, of course, children and pregnant women have yet to be studied and almost surely will not be. In the current trial, 91% of participants were white and the average age of participants was 35 years old. The age range was actually from 18 to 55 years old and only healthy adults. While studying healthy adults initially is wise because if there were major adverse events, they would likely tolerate them better. That doesn't excuse the fact that it is far more likely that adults over 55, adults with compromised immune systems, and of course children and pregnant women would have adverse events. And yet, all of these groups have yet to be studied and almost surely will never be studied with this vaccine. This means that, like most drugs and vaccines, we won't know how safe this is in those populations until it has already potentially injured those people. On top of that, this study only measured results of a second dose in 10 people. 10 people! And yet they are saying that they are not sure if the vaccine will be effective for longer than even two months, with hopes that it might be effective for as long as six months. And they as yet have no idea if it is safe in multiple doses over months or years which, of course, will also not get studied. So, what did we really learn from this so-called promising vaccine study that is reported to be safe and extremely encouraging? What did it really tell us? A. It will likely need to be administered at least twice annually, and possibly even more. It may not be effective, as researchers made it clear, that they are not sure if it elicits a strong enough response at all. It hasn't been proven safe compared to a placebo. It hasn't been proven safe for at-risk populations. There are probably significant adverse reactions that were not included based on the opinions of the doctors involved. This is highly subjective. And F, it isn't well tolerated without being accompanied by Tylenol in many of the people who take it. And Tylenol adds a heightened level of risk. And what we do know so far about COVID 19 is that as many as 23 million or maybe even 40 million Americans have been infected, and only 142,505 have been reported to have died. That is an actual percentage of 0.6%. Most of those deaths occurred among people with comorbidities, meaning they were already sick with something else not healthy adults or children. When we recognize that there have been massive exaggerations of the reported deaths by reporting anything even suspected to or related to COVID-19, then the rate is much smaller. So then, why is there a need for a vaccine for a virus that is so incredibly inefficient at killing anyone, particularly anyone who is otherwise healthy? The only obvious answer I can come up with is money. And I will end my rant with this. Our benevolent government has already ordered hundreds of millions of vaccines from multiple companies, all of which we have literally no idea will be either safe or effective. But according to a headline I read on Twitter, Americans whose tax money was used to research, purchase, and administer these vaccines will receive these vaccines for free. What? (laughs) How can an American receive this vaccine for free if they've already paid for it with their tax dollars? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's called propaganda. Okay, end rant. I've got to cut to a break. I really, really, really encourage you to look into this further. There is a rush to a vaccine for this illness that some of the biggest pushers of vaccination are terrified of, according to the articles that I've read. This vaccine is a very difficult one to make, a very difficult one to make in terms of safety and effectiveness. And yet we are speeding through the process at light speed compared to any other vaccine in the past. I would highly encourage you to look into this matter very, very carefully before you accept a vaccine for COVID 19. My greatest fear at this point for the health of American citizens and the world is that we rush into a vaccine that is more dangerous than the ailment that it is hoping to prevent. That's the end of the rant. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm going to come back with Dr. Kenneth Oliver, one of my good friends, a neurological chiropractor, he is awesome. And I think you're really, really going to like what he has to say about how you can change your brain. That's what we'll do next. You're listening to me. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. Insurgent Sports Nutrition is a brand-new sports supplement company with a unique philosophy, Refuse to Conform. In the sports nutrition industry, one company starts something and has some success and everyone else tends to follow their lead. What you end up with is a bunch of me-too products that don't add up to anything special. What you typically see on the market are formulas with all kinds of ingredients that look good on the label but do very little to advance your training and performance. At Insurgents, our motto is everything you need, nothing you don't. While many brands put the right ingredients in a product, most don't put the right dose. There are clinical trials for a reason, to prove not only if an ingredient works, but also how much of that ingredient it takes to provide the desired effect. At Insurgents, we won't add an ingredient to a formula unless we can add the clinically effective dose. Our first formula is our Insurgents pre-workout. Pre-workouts nowadays are a dime a dozen. They even sell them at the big box stores. The vast majority of pre-workouts on the market are overdosed on caffeine and other stimulants and underdosed on the stuff that actually increases your performance. Insurgent's pre-workout has all of the most critical ingredients to improve endurance, strength, energy, and without the crash that comes with a megadose of stimulants. Insurgent's pre-workout comes with or without caffeine and has no additional stimulants. If you want a truly effective, hype-free pre-workout that tastes great, is free of artificial colors, and absolutely does the job, refuse to conform and join the Insurgents. For more information about Insurgents Pre-Workout, call Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Hello and welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair and it's good to have you with me again on Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast. Of course, Vitality Radio is always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, Utah. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801 And no matter where you are, if you are within the sound of my voice, we can help you in Bountiful. We can get things to you through the mail. We can answer questions over the phone. We can even set up Zoom consults. We can do all kinds of stuff in the the internet age. So if you've got access to my voice, you've got access to me at Vitality Nutrition. Now, I hope you enjoyed the rant uh, that we did uh, before the break. I certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. I also love when I get the opportunity to have somebody on the show that is smarter than me in an area that I feel is important for you to understand. And I've got an expert on here, not the kind of expert that you're getting. You're hearing a lot about experts right now. Um, there's that guy in Washington, Dr. Fallacy or Fauci, uh, people like that. I'm talking about an actual expert, actually knows what he's talking about. You can actually listen to this information and know that it's been researched and is not full of, uh, you know, half truths. But this guy has become a friend of mine after I became a patient of his. His name is Dr. Kenneth Oliver of the Neuro Clinic in Lehigh, Utah. He is a chiropractic neurologist. I am really excited to tackle a topic that, uh, is maybe untackleable because there's so much information, but we're going to try and make it concise and give you some information. We're going to talk about neuroplasticity. You may have heard of it. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't know much about it because most people don't and we're going to try and shed some light on that today. Dr. Oliver, welcome to Vitality Radio.
2: Hey, thanks, Jared. It's a it's a pleasure to be back. I know you had me on a couple, what was that, a couple months ago? It's
1: been a couple months now, yeah.
2: And we had we had a really good chat back then, so I'm looking forward to today as well.
1: Well, I'm excited. I think we're going to dive into some stuff we didn't hit last time and uh, go into a little bit more detail. But first, before we do that, why don't you tell the people listening now, what exactly does a chiropractic neurologist do?
2: Yeah. So uh, usually what I tell people when we first start uh, when I first meet with someone, what I tell them is everything that I do in this office is all based off of principles of neuroplasticity, meaning, and we'll get into that further, but I'm trained as a chiropractic physician With postgraduate study in neurology and within my scope of practice, the only thing I really can't do is prescribe you medications because I'm not trained in pharmacology. I understand a lot about pharmacology, but within my scope itself, I just can't give recommendations about which drug to be taking and X, Y and Z. Although I do have some some knowledge and information in that realm as well. And I don't perform surgeries. So if those two things are ever indicated, uh, I'm referring you out to a physician that I trust that can do those things within their scope of practice. But other than that, everything that we do and everything that we employ in this office is all based off of principles of neuroplasticity.
1: Awesome. And the neuroplasticity thing, when I met you, I had heard of it. Mm -hmm. And I understood the basic concept of what it was. Basically, the brain can change is, I guess, maybe the most simple way to put it. You helped me by answering some questions for me on uh, a little bit more how that works. I learned a lot from you. And then you also referred me to uh, Dr. Amen, a couple of other places to learn more. And I've I've since learned a lot. Certainly wouldn't consider myself an expert in the field, but it's a fascinating field for sure. Yeah. And that's what I want to get into. But first, I want to talk about a little story. And I'm I'm really curious about your opinion on kind of what took place at Vitality Nutrition uh, the other day. I had a client, actually a couple that came in for a nutritional consultation and we sat down and I have these two questions that I always ask my clients that I think are really, really important. The first one is how bad do you want to feel good? Mm -hmm. And when I ask that question, you know exactly what I mean, right? Um, Because you can do what (laughs) you can lead a horse to water, so to speak. But if somebody doesn't actually want to make the changes they need to make to improve their health, then their health won't improve. Uh, so that's the first question. And the second question that I ask is, do you believe that you can feel good? Do you believe you can get better from what you're dealing with? Because I think uh, believing that you can actually get there is a huge part of it. Uh, we know that the placebo effect is real and it works both directions. We can talk ourselves into health and we can talk ourselves right back out of it. Yep. And so I always have to ask those questions. So in this case, I asked the first client, I had a husband and wife there, and the first client that I was working with specifically on her issues was the wife. And I, I said, okay, so how bad do you want to feel good? And she said, really bad. I'll do almost anything, but I can't give up my coffee. And I said, okay, I can. I think we can deal with that. In in her situation, after I'd read through her, uh, her profile and talked to her, I knew that coffee was kind of the least of her worries. She had a lot of other things going on and then the next thing i asked of course was well do you believe that you can can get better that you can feel the way that you want to feel and her answer was very interesting to me she said well i'm pretty messed up and i've been messed up since i was really really young i think maybe i can get about halfway better now i thought that was a really really interesting comment yeah. uh, about you know where she was at Throughout the meeting with with her and with her husband, what I learned was that there were a lot of things being said like, I'm pretty messed up. I've got a lot of problems. I really uh, have issues in this area, you know, things like that. A lot of negative self-talk, things like that. So before I tell you how I approached it, I'm curious, how would you have approached the answers to those questions?
2: Oh, man, that is, that is a good question. <laughs> I agree with you 100% that the attitude that you have going into a new venture especially when it comes to your health is so important to have and i know you've touched on those some of those principles you know in conversations that for example you've had with lamont wilcox and getting your yourself in the right headspace but that's it's kind of like the, the the three basic pillars that i chat with most people about is we need to gather a thorough history and figure out what's gone on in your life with regard to physical trauma, chemical trauma, and emotional trauma, because if we ignore any one of those things, you're kind of missing a huge aspect of the human experience. And so if someone's coming into a situation where they can't answer that question and say, I don't think I can ever get well, or I'm so messed up, I don't think that I I, I would really be able to make some change one of the first things that I'm going to do is spend as much time as I need to, to talk to them about how important it is to get your mindset right and get yourself into a position of, of healthy thinking, I guess, you know, so to answer your question, that's how I would maybe have approached that is call a timeout right there in the middle of the consultation and and address that point and really just let them understand in my experience, what I've seen clinically, how important it is, to be in that mindset and ready to heal and to even have that belief. All, although it may be impossible for you to put yourself in that space right then in that moment in time to be at least willing to open your mind and have a willingness to say, okay, I think I really do think 100% is achievable. That's just me. That's where I would come from trying to lay a, a perfect, you know, neuroplastic foundation there.
1: Um, yeah, and that's... Very similar to what I told them. I I said, well, first off, you are not pretty messed up. Mm -hmm. You have some issues that you're dealing with. Your body has some voids that need to be filled and you need to make some changes in order to, you know, nourish the body the way that it needs to be nourished. But you are not messed up. One of the biggest challenges that I think we deal with is people think they're broken. Yep. And especially when they're dealing with chronic things. And you can simplify it and go down to the, you know, burning your finger on the stove or cutting yourself with a kitchen knife. And it doesn't take much to look at your body and say, oh, my gosh, this body can just fix itself. Right. It just heals right up. Right. Right. And uh, in most cases, unless you've, you know, got some sort of underlying thing, those things heal up just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, No problem. Well, if that's the case, then if the body is given the proper tools, I believe it can heal just about anything. I agree. And with that, what I think there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect, and you, you can tell me if you see this with your patients, in that people seem to think that their brain isn't like that. Right. Right? Like you can't cut your brain and it just heals itself like you can your finger. But right. isn't the brain also part of the body? And isn't it also Absolutely, this amazing thing that can heal? Here's what I here is
2: I think people get stuck is it's their traumatic experiences oftentimes in my experience what I see is we'll get someone that was in a, a really bad car accident or someone that at a young age had a really bad head injury. And a lot of time with their history, they're going to report to me or someone like yourself, hey, ever since I had that accident or that, you know, and oftentimes people can pinpoint it to multiple scenarios of ever since that happened, I've never felt the same. And you've probably right. heard that as well. right. Absolutely. So X, Y, and Z happen to me and now I'm broken and they start to adopt this thought process of, hey man, it's been three, four, five months. For some people, it's been two, three, four years and I'm nowhere close to where quote unquote, you know, I was before. Like I'm 60% of that 100 percent of the person I know that I could be. And so I think people get really disheartened with these more of these severe traumatic, scenarios where they can pinpoint it to something like i said like a car accident or a playing football or something like that where they haven't felt the same and so it it becomes kind of disheartening and to your point what you're saying is if there's a lesion to the brain for example but when i say lesion that's just we can say a traumatic event that caused dysfunction or weakness or damage and you do feel different the nerve tissue itself just from a neuro, neurological perspective, nerve tissue is the slowest healing tissue in the human body. So these are different experiences that people have where if you or I to, were to go out and roll our ankle, I mean, that sprain can heal up pretty quickly. You're doing certain things to help that thing heal as fast as possible. And hey, in a couple of weeks, it's back to, you know, what we would say, quote unquote, normal. When it comes to the brain, people get really disheartened because these are, these are things that linger for such a long time. So that's the, oftentimes the report is I feel broken. I don't think I can ever get back to where I where I was before.
1: Right. And and I've also seen this and I'd like you to kind of talk about both of these things because I don't think they're that much different. But I again I'm I don't have nearly the depth of knowledge on neurology that you do. But do you also find that, that people get that traumatic experiences that are not actual physical trauma, like a car accident, but traumatic experiences like a divorce or the death of a loved one or things like that, can also lead to I've never been the same since.
2: Right, and and to kind of what we were talking about before the the episode even started, as we were chatting, you mentioned the word addiction, and it's you know an emotional traumatic event that someone goes through, and as a let's say as a coping mechanism, someone picks up drugs or alcohol or Mm -hmm. gambling or pornography, you name the addiction, they're pretty much the the same neurological phenomenon that happens as the ventral striatum, for example, starts to heighten in anticipation of some act on on an addiction that someone picked up because it was a coping mechanism for a very traumatic experience like a divorce or the loss of a loved one. You know, how am I going to pull myself out of this funk of losing my mom or losing my dad? And if it's, hey, I can turn to alcohol and numb myself and take myself away from the world for a few moments and feel good, right? And get those explosive neurotransmitter, you know, experiences with dopamine and serotonin and these things and start to adopt bad habits. Like, absolutely, there's a huge aspect of that as well. Traumatic events don't always have to deal with physical trauma. It's that chemical and emotional that we talked about as well.
1: Yeah, I I think that the biggest challenge, I I call it cyclical thinking, you know, when I'm talking to people about it, is these thought patterns that we just get stuck into, and addiction, of course, is one of the big ones, but we also, I think, can almost become addicted to how we feel about ourselves. And that can lead to things like everything from, you know, anorexia and bulimia on the extremes to just general malaise, depression, anxiety. You know, my life's never going to get any better because this is how it's been the last 10 years. So, you know, why why should I expect anything differently? So if these are the patterns that people get stuck in, what is the science that tells us that they can get unstuck? Okay.
2: This is neuroplasticity to a T. This is where I love talking about this topic because this is exactly the kick in the pants and it's swift that oftentimes people need to understand about getting out of these cyclical patterns because there has to be something to break it. And if it's a, when we talk about neuroplasticity, it can essentially, if if I'm going to dumb this down and just make it as simple as possible, it can be in one of two directions. We can either experience negative or positive neuroplastic change. And that really boils down to what is the long-term potentiation? So that's a term we use in neurology. The other term kind of in more layman's terms is what fires together, wires together. So when you're associating different stimuli with each other at the same moments in time, that's what is essentially the building block for taking a dirt pathway that you're gonna try to create into something beautiful like, a, like I-15 or, or some interstate, right? You want something big you want something fast you want something efficient now is that your addiction or is that a new desire that you have to go and work out or spend half an hour a day to meditate while you're doing other types of therapeutic interventions it really does become a point of what we call neurological layering so if i'm going to use my voice to talk to you about how your life can be changed and how there's so many great things for you to experience while at the same time I'm adjusting your spine, for example, or I'm giving you some sort of therapeutic intervention while we're having that conversation. That's the kind of the principle of neurological layering where you're firing off different sensory neurons. And just kind of as, a, as an aside, that's really how neuroplastic change works as human beings we're receptor driven. And you have to think about your brain like a computerized processing unit or a CPU, just like a computer. It's receiving sensory information constantly. And then your computer system is what's in charge of churning out either the thought or the action or the sleeping pattern or whatever it may be. And that's really the beautiful, simple thing about how neuroplastic change works. It's you fire systems long enough and hard enough and those are the systems that become efficient inside the brain. So, for example, you get someone with a head injury, and going back to just an example of a physical trauma, let's say through objective testing that we offer, we find out that their frontal lobe function is it's going south. Well, what part of the brain is responsible for focus and concentration, mood regulation, impulse control? So you talk about addictive behaviors and impulse control, Maybe that person has a dysfunctional or weak frontal lobe and there's really cool ways and easy ways to figure out how these different, all these different parts of the brain are working and communicating with each other through objective diagnostic tests, which is what I I would say most of my clients love and appreciate when they actually come is we test them every single time. And then I have something to show them and said, Hey, remember a month ago when you came in and your frontal lobe was look, just looked like garbage. And now, all of a sudden, it's functioning at such a higher level. Oh, and guess what? You're reporting to me subjectively, you know, thank you for telling me that you've been sleeping better, your mood's been better, you feel like you've got a better handle on your anxiety and depression, you're not drinking as much, you know, those are just some examples I can think of. But neuroplasticity is beautiful.
1: Let me interrupt just a second Mm -hmm. and and explain. I, I want to go a little deeper into what you just said, because for someone who's never been into your clinic and actually seen these objective tests, you know, what? one of the challenges with, with anything when it comes to wellness is knowing how, what kind of progress you're really making on a deeper level, Right. right? I mean, there are certain things you can see on the surface, like you said, maybe I'm sleeping better, I feel less anxious, and obviously results are results, and that's awesome. But one of the things that I found very fascinating about what you do is that I could actually see on the screen what changes were happening in my brain as I went through the process of what you do. Go into that a little bit and and explain how those tests work and ex- share with our listeners how you're able to tell that what you're doing is actually making a change that can be more permanent.
2: Right. So, so there's three basic standard diagnostic tests that we run that are FDA approved. And we start with one which is referred to as saccadometry. So saccades are fast eye movements that are mediated by, by very specific parts of your brain. So the generating aspects of a fast eye movement begin in the brain stem. And there's specific, specific structures like the substantia nigra and the superior colliculus and other, other sections of the brain that help generate a fast eye movement. But ultimately, when that movement needs to be made, it's executed by the frontal lobe, dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex and different structures up here. So it seems very simple, but this unit sits on your forehead, for example, and as we're measuring saccadometry, it's displaying laser projections on the wall. So the patient's going to be looking from side to side, left, right, left, right, left, right. And we're measuring how efficient each and every single one of those movements are. So by the end of the test, which only takes about four to five minutes, we've now measured a hundred different eye movements, 50 in one direction and 50 in the other. And this is a way you can actually start gathering objective information. And what I tell everyone is, especially on day one, you know, unless you've been in here and been tested and had these objective tests measured, we have to use today as our baseline. And everyone almost to a T always asks me, like, well, so what would have caused that? Like, what would have caused my test to be so bad? And usually my response is, I don't know. You tell me how hard your life's been. You know, (laughs) What, what kind of what kind of traumas have you been through? We could spend an hour talking about your history, you know. But then we move on to another diagnostic test that looks at a different part of the brain, the cerebellar controls and the vestibular controls in the form of computerized posturography. And then we use that, something that's a little more standard in the in the world of medicine with eyes, ears, nose, throat doctors. We use a video nystomography or VNG is what it stands for for short, which is a, it's a binocular infrared camera set up that looks at both of your eyes in conjunction, and how they work together when we're doing something as simple as a gaze hold. So we're saying, okay, this target's not gonna move. We just wanna see how well your brain can stare at it. And then it's gonna change shape and start moving around the screen. Now we need to see how well your brain can pursue a target because gaze holds and pursuits and saccades and all these different eye movements from an executive standpoint are different and they use different parts of your brain. And that's why we use so much with eye function is because the visual system u- utilizes every part of your brain. And when there's breakdowns in those teeny little muscles and those neuronal loops that operate extraocular function, they're super easy to see and we can show them right to you. And so these are different from like your standard, if you were to go in and just get an MRI because you have headaches. Well, mm-hmm. one, they've seen that one out of what the number is like 11,000 images actually show something relevant to head pain on MRIs or CTs, not discrediting those types of tests, but when you're looking at functional neurological affects, like it's very difficult for someone to go in and get an MRI and have the doctor say, hey, you know, I understand completely why you have depression. That just doesn't happen. But from a functional perspective, when you get these objective diagnostic tests performed, then you can actually look and see, hey, the part of my brain that's functionally responsible for helping me concentrate. So you talk about kids with ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, any form of functional disconnect syndrome, and you're looking at things that you can't pick up on on these other types of tests that, yes, they're objective, but they're not functionally objective type tests.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. So, so I was pretty blown away, actually, uh, being able to see, you know, what was happening in my brain and what changes were happening with the different therapies that you were giving me. It was really cool to me to be able to see that there was actually, there was neurological change happening, that neuroplasticity was actually occurring. Um, I've always believed for as long as I can remember that that was possible. I've never believed that people can't get unstuck. Right. But I, it was more of just a belief system than it was that I had a whole lot of science to back that belief up. <laughs> right. And it was cool to see that there was actually science that backed it up. And, and you're one of the people uh, that really the first person that ever showed me a lot of information that, that helped me understand it better as to why it can happen. So then in the process of what you do, there are a variety of different things that are done in clinic. And then there are things that you have people do at home. Correct. Uh, And of course, I've been through all this. So this is all stuff that I'm familiar with. Well, I didn't do everything that you do out there, but I did a lot of it. So why don't you share with with us, what are some things that people can do, uh, some starting points if they feel like they're stuck in some patterns, whether it's because they've actually had physical trauma or emotional trauma or whatever it is. We all have our stuff and we're all dealing with things and life isn't, I don't think life is easy for anybody. I heard one guy say that we never get out of this life alive. Nobody does. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Amen. And in the the meantime, there's a lot of little injuries that come along, whether they're emotional or physical. What are some things people can do at home that can be useful?
2: That is an excellent question. And that's kind of a loaded question at the same time, because, and I only say that for this reason is I could recommend or suggest, for example, and it's kind of like we chatted about last time when we when we were talking is, hey, maybe give the audience a tip or two of some things they can be in, doing at home that might help with maybe decreasing anxiety a little bit. And we talked about mm-hmm. gargling protocols and activating vagal nerve tone via the, the muscles in the back of the throat. Then when you stimulate vagal nerve tone, it, it helps promote parasympathetic nervous system function and things like that. What I would say is, And what i hear a lot from the people that i get to work with and i have the opportunity is man i have i have no idea this even existed that this was even a thing and to that is i would have had no idea how to even get started in this journey without someone like yourself looking at my brain and giving me some recommendations so for i'll just give some examples so generally speaking gargling carpet angels like it's like doing a snow angel you get really good uh, textural input into the skin. It's the same thing that you'll see someone that has maybe severe autism using dry brushing as a technique okay, to mm-hmm. help calm mm-hmm. the brain down. So there's some things, generally speaking, that that would be good to do. But what I would say is everybody's brain is different. And even in the realm of physical trauma, there, there are no two head injuries that are the same. So the approach that we have for treating mild traumatic brain injury is is different for everybody because everyone's brains respond differently to these insults. And so someone, for example, may come in post head injury and have a really difficult time watching a target move up and down in what we refer to as a vertical pursuit. But they can fixate on something really, really well. And to that, we've actually seen in a lot of the cool research that's coming out is how common it is with brain injuries to have vertical pursuit intrusions, is what they're called. So generally, without looking at you, I would say it's probably, probably going to be a finding on your exam if you've had a concussion or something that your vertical pursuits are are struggling. So I may give you what's called a yes yes exercise where you're staring at an arm reached out, that like arm reach length, thumb, you're staring at it, it's at eye level, so your thumb's not going to move and you're going to pinpoint that target on your thumb and you're going to move your head back and forth like you're nodding yes while you're staring at your thumb the whole time. That could be uh, a rehab strategy that we're using from a sensory perspective that promotes neuroplastic change to improve a vertical pursuit. And there's there's so many other different scenarios I could go through is why I would give someone micro-saccades versus no-nos or why... So that's why it's kind of a tough question to answer is because yeah. everybody's brain's a little bit different, but
1: Well, it's funny because going back to these clients that I had the other day that I talked about at the beginning, I one of the things I told them and I tell most people, I don't have a protocol for this. I don't have right. a protocol for that. I have a protocol for you. Right. Uh, once I've discussed with the individual what's going on, then I'm going to make recommendations based on their lifestyle and their health and their issues that will be more specific to their needs. Because we are, I mean, when you talk about the brain, especially, I think we're all dealing with a very unique situation. There are certainly some things that I'm sure, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, there are probably some things that you, like you said, did you say yes, yes? Yes, is that yes. That you yes yeah. yeah. You had me do that. And there's probably some things that almost everybody walks out with right? uh, because most of us are dealing with it. But then there are some things that only maybe a small percentage of your your patients would walk out with because it's less common, but it's out there. Is that fair to say? Yeah, totally fair. Yeah. Very fair. Okay. So then if someone's interested in what you do and really understanding neuroplasticity or maybe they're not even that interested in understanding it they just want it to happen <laughs> because I think right. a lot of people are <laughs> right. that way. Uh, what would you suggest how can people learn more and uh, do you do uh, do you have information online do you do classes do you do consults what what's the best way to do it?
2: Yeah so there's there's a couple phenomenal resources and I'll just start with things I grew up learning on when I was first introduced to this concept of neuroplasticity, one of my instructors or professors at the time said, hey, you guys should probably check out this medical physician. His name's Dr. Norman Deutsch. and he's written a couple books, one of which is called The Brain That Changes Itself. So looking into resources like that, that's one of my favorite books I've got over on my shelf right here. So there's books like that, The Brain That Changes Itself. If you really want to understand what we're doing in our clinic, which is very unique, especially to the state of Utah, because there is only four of us licensed you know, chiropractic, neurologist, physicians out there, my website is theneuroclinic.org. And I feel like we've done a really good job of putting as much solid information. We have a, a whole education section of our website where we've posted articles about neuroplasticity and articles about breaking addiction and other things like that. So I would say... Look at – if you really like to read, go find those books like The Brain That Changes Itself. If you want to just hop online and start looking some stuff up, our website's very informational. And you can always give us a call to come in and meet and, and do consults with us at uh, 801-682-3522 is our phone number.
1: Excellent. And uh, you're based in Lehigh. Mm-hmm. North uh, Levi, right on the right
2: on the border of Highland and Lehigh.
1: Yeah, right in the right – Right off of the, the 92. Main, the yep. main highway there, yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much what, what I wanted to ask you about. I want to go into some other kind of offshoots of this topic uh, and get into nutrition maybe next time I have you on, some things yeah. like that. But, but I think this is a good introduction for people. Before we uh, let you go, is there anything else you want people to hear?
2: No, t- uh, take care of yourselves and just understand that you're not stuck. And until you give your, your brain and your body a fighting chance and just open up and be willing to say, okay, I think I'm ready right now at this point to get unstuck. And I want to shoot for that 100 percent because I know I can get better because I want to feel better. Work with Jared at Vitality. He does amazing things nutritionally that we touched upon briefly. But and yes, I would love to get into that topic more because there's so much in that in that chemical realm and metabolic realm of health. But don't give up on yourselves and always, always, always have that light of hope at the end of the tunnel that there there is options and there's viable options for positive change that you can experience in your life that will get you from point a to where you want to be and
1: uh, i'm here to help you along every step of the way and i want to throw one more thing out there too you mentioned there's four people in utah doing what you do right uh, or at least that are trained to do what you do i'm sure you all do it maybe maybe a little, a little different. differently i don't know yeah yeah but the thing that I think is really important to understand, and I, I get this a lot at Vitality, you know, by the time that somebody gets to me in the uh, in the office at my shop, a lot of times they've struck out in a bunch of different areas trying to fix whatever it is they're trying to work on for their help. And they'll feel pretty defeated at that point. Right. I think it's a really common emotion that I deal with when I'm talking to new clients yep. is one of, man, I just, you know, One or two more people tell me they can't help me. I'm done with this. And I think you and I are probably a lot that way where people literally didn't know that just doing this, 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 and this when it comes to supplementation and lifestyle change could make monumental change in their health. And in your case, just doing this, 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 and this when it comes to their brain could make a monumental difference in their health they just don't even know those options exist, right. especially if they're more focused on kind of mainstream medicine and what what doctors are typically doing. So I want to really impress um, on, on you listening right now that there are always options you don't know about. There are always alternatives that you don't know about yet. Don't stop the search no matter what you're dealing with because there are smaller, lesser known things out there like chiropractic neurology. I'd never heard of it until a year ago. And even things that are, again, more metabolic uh, like uh, nutrition that you just don't know about yet. But the information's out there and we live in a time where the information is extremely accessible. We can get this stuff now. So don't stop digging. Always uh, recognize that there is an option for you that will help. And if you're dealing with things that feel cyclical in your brain, you're dealing with trauma, you're dealing with anxiety, depression, ADD, any of those types of things, you should very much consider talking to Dr. Oliver at the neuro clinic. I uh, give him my uh, full stamp of approval. I don't know if you've got the Gephardt stamp, but you got mine. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> not yet.
2: And I, I really do. Just to add, just briefly on what you just said, is is that's oftentimes the story that we hear is I've I've been everywhere, I've tried everything. I've tried it. I've tried, I've, the, I've tried all I've this. I've taken stuff. the trip down to the Mayo Clinic. I've you know this X yep. Y and Z. Not to say that they're they're missing the boat, but man, there's just so much rich information that these things come hot off the press. And I'm the type of person like you are the type of person who wants to take that information and make a clinical a- application as soon as possible. So if that person walks through your door, they're not having to wait for the medical establishment to come up with some plan or protocol that can sometimes take decades when we've been practicing it for 15 years already. Right. You know,
1: so. Yeah, 100%. All right. Well, we're running out of time anyway. It's always a pleasure talking to you, whether you're on the radio or just on the phone. It's fun to talk to somebody who can shed light on uh, areas that I'm still learning your a wealth of, of knowledge and information. I appreciate you coming on Vitality Radio and sharing some of that. Thanks for having me, Jared. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. So we're going to wrap up the show now. That was Dr. Kenneth Oliver. He is from the neuro clinic in Lehigh, Utah and is what is called a chiropractic neurologist. You just learned a little bit about what he does and what he believes. As I said, he certainly has my stamp of approval as I have not just read about him and talked to him, but I've actually been to his clinic and gone through his protocols. And he does amazing work. If you have more uh, questions, give us a call at Vitality. If you missed his number, we will, uh, we'll have it there for you. You can call us 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. You can visit our website, vitalityradio.com, and you can also visit the NeuroClinic uh, for information about what Dr. Oliver does. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio.
0: You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source.